So today we are going to be hearing more about this story of Thomas uh, through the Gospel of John. So I invite everyone to stand as you are able in body and spirit as we read from John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark, Uh, of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, I bet there's a lot of adults, at least in this room, that wish they would have a crystal ball that can show them what would happen in the future if they made these decisions that they were presented with or if they would have known something was going to come their way. If they just had that crystal ball, they would not have messed up or missed that opportunity of a lifetime. Well, I wonder if Ronald Wayne ever wished he had a crystal ball Y'all know who Ronald Wayne is? Probably not. But many of us use devices and things that he was originally a founder of. Believe it or not, he was part of the team that created Apple in 1976. You see, Ronald uh, invested before Apple in a slot machine business in 1971 put a lot of his personal wealth into it, took out loans, and it went belly up. I don't know how a slot machine business goes belly up, but it did. And so he had to repay all of those loans for that failed venture. And then in 1976, he was introduced to two guys, both named Steve, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. And They were younger than Ronald. Ronald was 41, and they were in their 20s, so he was kind of the adult of the trio. But the three of them worked together and created the incorporation of Apple. Both of the Steves had 45% share in the company. Ronald had 10 because he was there for the tiebreak. If there's ever a disagreement between the two Steves, he would just make the decision on what they needed to do. 
But they had to take out a lot of loans and, and start this new company up. And Ronald was there again, a little nervous. So two weeks after being on the incorporation as one of the founders of Apple, two weeks, he sold his 10% share for $800. And if he would have held on to that 10% share, it'd be worth $55 billion today. And so I bet Ronald is thinking, I wish I had that crystal ball that would not have allowed me to sell the shares because it, you know, it actually paid off. But we all have those moments in our life, right, where we've, we've done something and we're like, man, I wish I would not have bought that or sold that or taken that job or passed up that opportunity. You know, in life, the longer you live, more likely or not, you're going to have things that come up like that. Well, when we get to today's story, you know, I, I see, you know, Thomas and I see the situation that he's in, and I find it very interesting because this is still the day of resurrection. It is the Sunday. It's the day that Mary went to the tomb, met Jesus, told the others, all of that, okay? But yet, here they are, the disciples, being told that Jesus has been raised from the grave, and but yet they are locked in their room because they are afraid of the Jews. And whenever you see the word the Jews in the Gospel of John, it typically refers to the Jewish leaders, okay? The Jewish leaders, the ones that persecuted Jesus, okay? The, the ones in power. They were afraid of that. And so they were locking themselves in a room, trying to think of what to do next. But interestingly, Thomas is not there, you know? And, and Scripture doesn't tell you where Thomas was on Easter Day. It does not. However, it doesn't say anything negative about Thomas not being there either. So whatever he was doing was probably nothing wrong. He just was not with the group. He could have been further away and couldn't have gotten to the room in time. Who knows? And there's not much said about Thomas in the other three Gospels of Matthew Mark and Luke, but John has more interactions with Thomas. We get to understand Thomas a little bit more in the Gospel of John. He's mentioned earlier in the Gospel as one of the disciples that wanted to go with Jesus to Bethpage while he was going to go teach. And that was a place where Jesus was recently tried to be stoned. But yet he wanted to go with Jesus and said to the other disciples, let us go so we can die with him. So he was courageous earlier on in the gospel, okay? So he is someone who's not afraid. You, you don't get that from the readings earlier on Thomas. But yet, on this first day of the week, the doors of the house were closed and locked, and the other disciples, minus Tom, Thomas, were there because they were afraid. But while the disciples were gathered, with the locked door, Jesus appears, it doesn't tell you how Jesus comes into the room, but he appears with the disciples. And then he said to them, he said to them, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. It was almost as if they too needed proof that this is truly the man that was on the cross on Friday that this was the teacher that they had been following and dedicating their life to. Some of us miss that. 
Some of us go straight to Thomas and his demand to see the wounds and to touch them. But here Jesus showed them to the disciples as well. Because not only have they been told by Mary that he has risen, but they also needed to see and to see him and the wounds. And in that moment, Jesus knew what they needed and provided and told them, peace be with you. And then in this moment in the Gospel of John, you have almost a moment of like Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is bestowed upon the disciples. It said, when after Jesus said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, breathing life into things is an, is an image common in Scripture. As Jesus breathed life into creation in Second Genesis, as breathing life into the valley of dry bones. Here Jesus breathes life into the disciples through the Holy Spirit and empowers them to go out and to proclaim the good news And for those who believe and repent, their sins would be forgiven. He gives them that authority in this moment on the first day. And so after this whole interaction, you would would imagine that the other disciples, we've got to go tell Thomas. We don't know what Thomas was doing. We know he's, he's fished before, so he may have been out fishing, going back to life. Who knows? But they realize they've got to go tell Thomas. And so they went. And they went and told Thomas. And it doesn't tell you which disciples told him. It just said, the other disciples said, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> but we, we, we can relate, if we're honest with Thomas. We can relate to what he says here. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. We've all been told something in our life and we're like, no, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I've told this story before. Actually, I told it in a sermon. I lived in Madison the most of my life, since I was age five, okay, the majority of my life. And while I was a teenager, I loved fast food and I loved Taco Bell. And I always had heard for years that Madison was getting a Taco Bell and I always said, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't think they would quite meet the criteria of the mayor and the building and all of that. <clears throat> well, lo and behold, there was a Taco Bell built eventually and I had to eat my words and my tacos. But, you know, we've all had that moment in our life where we're like, I don't believe it until I see it. So, you know, we can't really look down upon Thomas because resurrection's a big deal. Everybody knows that Jesus was nailed to the cross and died and had his side pierced. Ain't no one coming back from that, right? Well, Jesus did. Jesus defeated death for our sake, paid our price for our sins on the cross, one thing here, though, that, that, it, that it does not tell you, it was just the disciples that were telling Thomas that Jesus was not there in this moment. But again, a week later, the disciples were all huddled up with the door shut, probably still a little afraid, keeping a low profile. But in this meeting, Thomas was there, and Jesus appeared again. And when Jesus appeared, he said, peace be with you. And then to Thomas, he looked at him and said, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. See, Jesus wasn't there when he told the disciples, I've got to see the nail holes and I've got to touch the wounds. But Jesus just knew. He knew what Thomas needed to believe. 
He didn't criticize Thomas for what he said, but he met him where he was. He met him where he was and provided the proof that he required, that he needed. See, Thomas just needed assurance. He just needed assurance that it was real. I mean, don't we all sometimes want that assurance that what we are doing and saying we believe is real? Don't we need those moments in our lives? If we're human, I think we do. We need the assurance that our faith is real sometimes. And sometimes we kind of demand it in concrete ways. Now, it may not always show up like we expect it to, but God always provides what we need in the moment when we don't realize it. And we see that here with Thomas, giving Thomas the assurance that the resurrection is real, that he is alive, he is no longer dead. Death is defeated. So I don't like the title Doubting Thomas because the disciples, when they first were gathered, needed to see the wounds, right? Thomas' request was, was understandable. I almost like to call it missing an action, Thomas, on the first day. You know, he missed the opportunity. If he had a crystal ball, he might have been like, oh, I need to be at that first meeting when Jesus appears on Easter day. I don't need to be out doing whatever I'm doing. But he didn't have the crystal ball, so he missed out on that first opportunity to meet Jesus. But unlike Ronald in my story at the beginning, Thomas gets a second chance, right? Thomas gets a second chance, and Christ meets him where he needed to be met. And then it goes on to say that blessed are those who have not seen but believe. That's us. We're 2,000 years past this moment of actually happening. We are the ones with faith where we believe without seeing. Now we see these moments where God comes through. We see these miracles. But we weren't in that room to see the resurrected Christ with the nail holes. But yet we believe. Yet we are blessed. And we get to share with the disciples As they receive the Holy Spirit, we are given the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news as well. We are not left abandoned. We are loved. And so when you look at this passage, there are so many themes and so many things that are going on with this passage. The main idea I would say with this is that despite our fears, despite our doubts... Our God is bigger than all of that. Our God's grace is stronger than our fears and our doubts. God's forgiveness is more powerful than sin. God, as the creator of this world and this universe, is the one that ultimately will meet us where we are. He does not forsake us, does not leave us. Now, Jesus went to those first that knew him intimately that he knew would need to see him first to believe. He didn't ridicule them. He didn't say, oh, no, they got it. I'm going to go out and see other folks. But he knew they needed to see him, and he provided. And so I think individually we need to look at this as what doubts and fears are we allowing in our lives to prevent us from fully understanding and embracing God and seeing God in our everyday What do we allow to be the stumbling block for us? You know, we are called to not 
have these fears and worries because of what Jesus has done. But yet we still find ourselves, because of our human nature, being hung up, being worried, allowing other things to become our God instead of the God above. And you know, Jesus Christ gets into the world and comes to us and reaches for us. He does not leave us to our worries and to our doubts. And he's telling us over and over and over again to believe, have faith, have peace. I am stronger. Lean on me. Give it to me. Serve me. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Because that's what the devil is, is a house of lies that tries to make us fall, to distract us. You know, doubt is okay if you work through the doubt. It can actually be a growth opportunity as you seek and wrestle with things. But where it can be harmful is if you stick and stay in that doubt without reaching to God for help, without reaching to other believers for help. That's where it can hold you back. So doubt can be a tool for growth if you allow the Holy Spirit to work with you. Or it also could be a thing that holds you back if you never work through it, never reach out, never give it to the Lord. And that's hard. But that's individually. I also think as a church body, because faith is individual and communal. The church in times, I think, becomes afraid becomes paralyzed by the fear. And so I think as a church, as the church body, that we should not be afraid and allow that fear of whatever it is, the fear of failure, the fear of upsetting the apple cart in the community, allowing that to prevent us to proclaim the truth of what God is telling us here today in Scripture. I think the church at times allows that fear to keep us contained to an hour on Sunday morning. That all the other time that we can't be too churchy, right? We can't be too churchy because the community won't respond or we may be rejected. But we're not called to have that fear. We're called to be out in the community. We are called to live our faith out outside the one hour on Sunday morning. We are called to be a positive force in where we are, sharing the good news That God's love and what is revealed to us in Scripture is the truth, is what we should base our life on. And that God will meet you where you are. He's reaching you each and every day. It's like the song we sang where he leaves the 99 to come after the one. It's reckless love. It is reckless love. It is. It's radical love. For a God to do all that he has done for his creation where he so easily could have just wiped clean and started over. That would have been the easier thing. But yet he came down in Jesus, lived amongst us, died a painful death, and paid our price. Because his love and grace is the most powerful thing in the world. The reckless love he has, but he has it for us. And so what do we do with this? We respond. We share that good news. We don't lock ourselves in a room. We don't lock ourselves as a church just Sunday morning, but we go out and we tell this message. We share it to the others. Just as the disciples went and found Thomas, we've got to go out into the community and share this message. 
reveal what scripture says, reveal what God's love is all about, and to not let doubt and fear paralyze us. And I know these things in our mind make sense, but when you actually put it to action, it takes a lot of faith, it takes a lot of courage. You know, and we wish we could have that crystal ball and know that it all will work out just right. But what we have, that's our crystal ball, is what Jesus is telling us here. That blessed are those who have not yet seen but believe. And that everything we need to know about Jesus and his divinity and his works is found in Scripture. While he did many other things, the important pieces are there. And it's there to prove who he is. It is there to prove God's love for us. No other source will contain what you need but by the Bible. And that's why it's so incredibly important that we engage in it and we live into it and we share it. And so may we take this good news, may we take this opportunity of what Christ has done and may we live it out. May we proclaim it And may we give thanks to the one above for the love that he has given us because we don't want to be like poor old Ronald and miss out on an opportunity of a lifetime. Let us pray.